0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor.
1: Well, thank you and welcome to the show. It's 1939. Germany and the Soviet Union attacked Poland, and Britain, France, India, Australia, and New Zealand declared war on Germany September 3rd of that year. Canada entered the war on the 10th of September of 1939, and within two months, the first contingents of Canadian troops arrived in the United Kingdom. Reporters kept all of North America informed about the efforts of the Allies. Meanwhile, the United States decided to remain neutral, but did begin rearming for war, which helped end the Great Depression. And radio audiences were happy to have the diversion of some great radio drama and comedies. One of those programs most listened to was The Adventures of the New Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. So we take you back to 1939 for the episode Submarine Caves. Petrie Wine
2: brings you Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce and the New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to spend the next half hour listening to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And now I know our good friend Dr. Watson's expecting us. Let's go in and join him. Come in, come in. Good evening, Doctor. Uh, good evening, Mr. Bartow. Say, how are you feeling, Doctor, all over that attack of flu you had?
3: I'm feeling very much better, thank you, my boy. I'm still a little weak. <laughs> we old fossils take much longer to get over that sort of thing than you young fellows. Well, you take good care of yourself, Doctor. You've got a lot of friends, you know. Oh, I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you, Mr. Bartow. And now settle yourself down and I'll get on with tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure. Where did it take place? You may not be familiar with the names of Jersey, Guernsey, Alderney, and Sark. But those are the four principal islands that make up the group known as the Channel Islands.
2: Oh, yes, Doctor. I have heard of them. They're somewhere in the English Channel, aren't they? Between the southern coast of England and the northern coast of France. That's
3: quite right, my boy. Though I very much doubt if you ever heard of the tiny island on which this story happened. It was the island of Garth. A minute but self-contained spot with a population of just under a thousand inhabitants subsisting, and from what I saw of the island in those days, subsisting very well on its dairy products.
2: Was it under the rule of the British government, Doctor?
3: No, Mr. Bartell, not exactly. You see, the island belonged to a family by the name of Horn. The head of the family, who was known as the Seigneur of Garth, was an independent ruler owing nominal allegiance to the King of England. That allegiance was expressed by one of those traditional ceremonies in which the Seigneur annually presented one pound of freshly churned butter. To a representative of the British
2: Crown. Times haven't changed much, have they, Doctor? A pound of butter is still worth a king's ransom. <laughs> but uh, tell me, what were you and the great Sherlock Holmes doing on the
3: island of Garth? Well, I just coming to that, my boy, will give me a minute. It was in the summer of 1896 when, to my utter amazement, Holmes informed me that we were going to the island of Garth as the official representatives of the British Crown to accept the annual presentation of butter. At the time, I must confess, I couldn't see why Holmes wanted to accept such a ridiculous mission. It was only as we approached the island in a small fishing boat that he told me a great deal more was at stake than a pound of butter. Unfortunately, Mr. Bartell, I'm not much of a sailor, and as the wind was blowing hard and the sea racing, I'm afraid I wasn't a very intelligent companion. (laughs)
4: Get Watson. we be
3: I hope so. I feel wretched, Holmes. I must say, the whole trip seems utterly ridiculous to me. Plunging and bobbing about in a little boat in a raging (laughs) (laughs) torrent just because somebody wants to give somebody else a pound of butter. Dear old Watson, you don't really think our mission is so innocuous, do you? Then why are we going to the island of Garth? We're going to the
4: island of Garth at the express wish of its present ruler, Martha Horn. Martha Horn, I never heard of her. She's an extremely spirited old lady. And the only woman who dared tell a certain resident of Windsor Castle that she looked devilishly dowdy for an empress. Great, Scott, you mean that... I mean, uh, Watson, that... uh, Martha Horn's behests are not likely disregarded. Obviously she wishes to see me urgently. Also, my brother, Mycroft, put pressure on me. He reminded me that a a visit to Garth might be closely allied to this emerald type in I wear.
3: Of course, you recall the origin of this pin? Well, naturally, that lady at Windsor Castle gave it to you after our little trouble last year over those stolen plans for the Bruce Parkington submarine.
4: Exactly, my dear fellow, but remember that uh, the spy Oberstein had put those plans up for auction in all the naval centers of Europe. Some hint of their nature must have leaked out. It's even possible that other powers may be able by now to duplicate the pride of our submarine fleet. And whoever controls the channel, Watson,
3: controls England. Well, they're dropping anchor, and yet we're still a quarter of a mile out from the island. Why, Why do you think they're doing that? Here comes the skipper. He'll tell us. Here is as
5: close to the island as we may approach, monsieur. We have already sent signals. A
3: smaller boat is putting out for you. It will be here in a little while. Thank you. A smaller boat? Good lord. Holmes, you were hinting at the naval significance of the island of Garth.
4: Yes, also I was.
3: Well, what good would it be as a port if even a small boat like this can only come within half a mile of it? But a surface
4: vessel, no, but we were speaking of submarines. A Garth, I learned from the encyclopedia, boasts a magnificent interior cavern accessible only through underwater channels. It's
3: got an ideal natural harbour and dry dock for a submarine fleet. Precisely. And on the control of the island of Garth Watson may well
4: rest the fate of the British Isles. Now, old chap, perhaps you see why Mycroft was so anxious for us to collect a pound of butter.
3: Doesn't it seem wonderful to to be on land again? First the fishing smack, and then that wretched little rowing boat. Then the bucket swinging us up the the face of the cliff. (laughs) Now at last I can stretch my legs. Steady, old chap. Steady, steady. Let me give you a hand.
4: You'll soon get your land legs back
3: again. (laughs) Thank you. I'm a bit shaky, I must confess. Hello? Who's that couple walking towards us?
4: A welcoming committee, no doubt.
3: How do you do? Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson.
2: (laughs) Permit me to present myself. I am Dr. Hugo Oberwald. How do you do, sir?
3: How do you do, doctor?
2: And this is Mrs. Reeves, the housekeeper at Horn Castle, where you will be staying. How do you do? How do you do, Mrs. Reeves?
6: Welcome to the island of Garth, gentlemen. We
2: were deputed to come and greet you and take you back to the castle. We can walk there across the clifftops. It isn't very far. Ah, splendid.
4: I think my friend will appreciate traveling on teleferma once again. <laughs> Dear me, Herr Dr. You are
2: not a good sailor, perhaps?
3: No, perhaps about it, sir. I had a miserable crossing. I am sorry
2: to hear it. I trust your short stay at the castle will be some recompense for the journey.
6: The formal presentation of the butter will take place tonight. There will be no reason why you gentlemen cannot return to the mainland tomorrow.
4: Oh, thank you, Mrs. Reeves, but it's more than likely that we shall stay on for a few days.
6: Oh, it will be quite unnecessary.
4: I'm afraid that is a matter for Mrs. Horn and ourselves to decide.
6: I'm afraid that Mrs. Horn is incapable of making any further decisions.
2: Oh, what do you mean, madam? Uh, obviously, you have not heard, but the news is slow in reaching the mainland. Uh, Mrs. Horn died yesterday. Died?
3: Good lord. A uh, natural death, I suppose.
6: But of course...
2: I attended her myself. A simple case of heart failure.
6: The poor lady died in her sleep.
2: Shall we begin our walk to the castle? Eh?
3: By Jove, Holmes, this changes things. You suppose it was a, a natural death?
4: I suppose nothing, old fellow. But in almost twenty years of practice, I can recall precisely three clients, actual or potential, who died natural deaths. Come on, let's follow them. <laughs>
6: Doctor Watson, this is Mr. Christopher Horn, grandson of Mrs. Horn, and the new ruler of Garth.
7: Do do. Oh, hello, hello. Hello, sir. So nice of you fellows to come over here. Too bad you had to arrive just as the poor old gal kicked the bucket, though. Allow me to uh,
4: offer my condolences on your grandmother's death, sir. Yes,
7: yes indeed, Mr. Horn. Oh, thank you. It was a ghastly business. I found her. You Christopher. Know. Frightful sight. There was an awful, an awful silly grin on the old dear's face, and.
6: Don't you think it would be more to the point if you were to explain the ceremony in connection with tonight's presentation?
7: <laughs> You're right, Revy. is a terrible tyrant. but She is efficient. Don't know what I'd do without her? Always ran everything for poor old granny. Why, when the old girl was ill, she... Uh,
6: Christopher, I-, I gave you a schedule of the ceremonies this morning. What did you do with it?
7: That it, Revy, I don't know. Must have lost it.
6: Well, I have my own copy in the study. <laughs>
7: I swear I don't know what I'd do without you.
6: Excuse us a moment, gentlemen.
7: I'll
8: be back in
3: Holmes, what in thunder is going on here? That boy is completely under the thumb of Mrs. Reeves. He was trying to tell us something, but that frightful woman kept changing the subject. He spoke of an
4: awful, silly grin on the dead woman's face. Didn't that suggest something to
3: you? By Jove, that's one of the characteristic symptoms of strychnine poisoning. Exactly,
4: fellow, and perhaps he was going on to mention the equally characteristic arching of the body. We've got to get Mr. Horn to ourselves for a little while, and you've got to examine the body of the dead woman. And it's going to be difficult. Hmm. Is there a balcony outside the window? Yes, it is. Come along. Let's see what it leads to.
3: The balcony seems to lead right round this particular wing of the castle. Must have served as a lookout in the olden days. I wish the balcony were a little wider. It must be a sheer drop of a couple of hundred feet down to the rocks below. Yeah. Hello.
4: These must be the windows of the room adjoining the one we just came out of. Let's go a little closer, shall we? We may be able to find out something.
3: Can you see anything?
4: Yes. They're in there. Mrs. is Reeves and the boy. She's leaving the room. Now's our opportunity. I'll tap on the window.
7: He's seen
3: us. He's coming to open
7: it.
4: What are you
3: two doing out there? Admiring the view? Yes, my boy. It's it's quite beautiful.
4: Uh, Mr. Horn. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I was a great admirer of your grandmother. I was interested in what you were telling me of her death. She had a a grin on her face, you said.
7: Yes. It was it was awful. Her her body was all hunched up like like a croquet hoop. Really? Of course, uh, Dr. Oberwald said it was perfectly all right, but I must say it seemed dashed on to me. It was far from all right, I
4: assure you. And you started to say something else. What was it? Let me see. You said, uh,
7: when she was ill... Oh, yes. That was a silly business. When she was ill, she thought she was in danger from poisoning, so she, she made Mrs. Reeves taste all her food and drink. Did she really? Uh, uh, where is your grandmother's body now? In the West Wing. The funeral's to be tomorrow morning. I see. Uh, Where did Mrs. Reeves go?
6: I'm here on the balcony behind you, gentlemen, listening to your conversation with the greatest interest. Christopher, let me warn you. These men are the emissaries of the British government. They would stop at nothing to take the island over. These men are trying to influence you against me. Against Reeve, who has looked after you ever since you were born, and who tries to protect you now that your grandmother has gone and you are alone. Yes, I know,
7: Reeve, but after all... That is it... your
6: pride as the head of the Horn family, the seigneur of Garth. The Garth that I am trying to save for you. This man is completely unscrupulous. He was about to accuse me of murder. Weren't you, Mr. Sherlock Holmes?
4: The thought had occurred to me, Mrs. Reeves.
6: Of course it had because you wish to poison Christopher's mind against me. Well, Mr. Holmes, we have no police on the island of Garth. Our only law is the word of the seigneur, and Christopher now holds that title. Seigneur, what do you say? Will you allow an Englishman to blind you by accusing me of being a murderess?
7: Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, I shall meet you at the ceremony tonight. Beyond that, I, I don't care to speak to you again. Good day.
6: A shame to spoil your plans, isn't it, Mr. Holmes?
3: (laughs) Well, on the soul. Magnificent, Watson.
4: Magnificent! A murderess who seeks to defeat me by accusing herself. Superb! It's a new game, my dear fellow. And one that must be played to a finish. (laughs)
2: Dr. Watson, this is certainly an unusual story you're telling us tonight. Uh, what happened after Mrs. Reeves left you and Sherlock Holmes standing on the balcony?
3: We retired to our rooms and had a quiet and lonely lunch. Though the great man said little, I could see that he was deeply excited and that his keen brain was evolving some plan that would enable us to solve the mystery of Mrs. Horne's death. After lunch, he started to descend the stairs leading to the main hall of Garth Castle. As we did so, Holmes said... Uh,
4: we're in no danger ourselves. Mrs. Reeves knows that we're here as emissaries of the British government. Yes,
3: and if we didn't return with a butter within a few days, there'd be a British dreadnought here looking for us. However, I am in danger of one of my worst defeats. My professional pride is piqued. If only I
4: could Ah Now, Watson.
3: Yes, huh?
4: If at any time today I slip you a note, don't read it at once, but shh, shh, shh. here comes Mrs. Reeves.
3: Ah, uh, precisely,
4: Watson. I entirely agree. If I do not make the test on Mrs. Horne's body within 24 hours of her death, it will be useless. I must make it by 3 o'clock this afternoon.
6: Mr. Holmes!
4: Oh. oh, yes, Mrs. Reeves.
6: I want to apologize for my behavior before lunch. I was intolerably rude. Oh, please, no. Whatever my quarrels may be with British politics, I at least owe to both of you the duties of hospitality. Ah, that's very
4: gracious of you, Mrs. Reeves. Uh, <laughs> I wonder... Uh, would your hospitality also include a, a personally conducted tour of the subterranean caverns for which this island has become internationally famous?
6: Wouldn't they really interest you? Well, I'm, well, I'm afraid that
3: my friend and I won't have
4: the time Oh, yeah, not at all, well, not at all. We have plenty of time. Well, as we'll long as time. we're back we'll here by time. three o'clock.
6: I'm hmm? sure Dr. Oberwald would be delighted to join us. He has made quite a study of the unique rock formation. Oh, shoes. that's splendid.
3: <laughs> and it should prove a most interesting excursion. But, Holmes, why do we want to go stomping around a lot of damp and smelly can. Well, the exercise will do us, good old fellow. Uh,
4: uh, will you lead the way, Mrs. Reeves, and please remember that it's most important that I return here... I al-
6: remember, Mr. Holmes. You must be back here by three o'clock. Mr. Holmes, and we shall reach the giant cavern.
4: Ah, most interesting. Uh, Watson and Dr. Oberwald seem to have lagged behind us somewhat.
6: They will be here in a moment. There, this is the giant cavern.
4: Ah, magnificent. Truly a miracle of nature. It's a natural submarine dry dock hewn out of the rocks.
6: Yes, Mr. Holmes. And in the olden days, only the smugglers who inhabited this island knew the entrance that leads to this cave. The first seigneur of Garth found a cache of untold wealth hidden here. Silks, jewels. There are still the remains of some of the finest Calvados brandy stored upon oh, these <laughs> rocks.
4: An incomparable drink.
6: Would you care for some? It is our custom whenever visitors honor us with their presence to <laughs> offer them a glass. I should be delighted. There is a natural shelf here in the rocks. A perfect hiding place. There you are, Mr. Holmes. And here is a glass. Oh, oh, oh.
4: This is a rare privilege. I imagine that very few people have been offered it.
6: Only our most distinguished visitors, I assure you.
4: <laughs> this uh, cavern is completely inaccessible from the outer sea, I presume?
6: Completely. Unless, of course, ships could swim under the sea.
4: Which, as you know as well as I, they can, Mrs. Reeves, even outside the imaginings of Jules Verne.
6: Indeed. Uh, would you care to explore a little deeper? The
9: others will be with us soon.
3: Dr. Overvold, the others seem to be somewhere ahead of us. Yes, they do, don't they, Doctor?
2: Uh, Holmes! Holmes! Where are you? <laughs> Dear me, I'm afraid we cannot follow them. Ah, what do you mean? The next cavern is already cut off by the rising tide. Wait,
3: Scott, you mean that they're cut off?
2: I am afraid so. But do not worry here, Doctor. In a few hours, the tide will recede. They are in no danger. Just, uh, shall I say, uh, temporarily
1: morrow.
9: <laughs>
4: Understand it. I I'm getting confoundedly sleepy.
6: I'm so sorry. I'm afraid that we stayed here longer than I intended. I fear that we are cut off by the tides.
4: Cut off by the tides?
6: We're in no danger. In a few hours we shall be able to return. But uh, I'm afraid I cannot get you back at three o'clock, which was the time, I promised.
4: Uh, But it's vital. Uh, Perhaps absolutely... Vital that I could get back. I'm so sleepy. (laughs) But please keep talking. I must
0: keep awake.
3: Dr. Oberon, I must get to Sherlock Holmes at once.
2: I am sorry, doctor, but we are not able to control the forces of nature. We cannot force the water to recede. Your friend is in no danger. I know, but he's got
3: a most important test that he must make by three o'clock.
2: I am afraid that will be impossible.
3: Well, I've got to do something. I should have come to these blasted caves in the first place. I don't know what on earth I ought to do. Ah, Joe, that note that Holmes gave me. He told me to open it if, uh, where did I put it? Ah, here it is. A uh, note for Mr. Sherlock Holmes, eh? Vital that you make medical test. Great Scott, Dr. Overall, it's absolutely necessary for me to return to the castle at once. Indeed. A note from Mr. Sherlock Holmes.
2: And now it is most important that you return to the castle. No, my fine English friend. I am afraid I cannot allow you to.
3: Oh, I don't know how you propose to stop me, sir. You see this, Frau Holbrook? And do you see this stick? I warn you, Herr Doctor. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> I'm sorry you can't hear me, Dr. Overall, but when Sherlock Holmes gives me orders... I carry him
9: out. Ah. Oh, Mrs. Reeves, are we
4: still trapped by the tide? What, what, what time is it?
6: 5 o'clock. I'm afraid that you'll be a trifle late for your important appointments. What a pity. You
4: deliberately trapped me here. You dragged the brandy and kept me a prisoner.
6: Did I? Now, why should I do that, Mr. Holmes?
4: Because you're greedy for power. That's obvious, in your domination of that person to a weak young man who is now Senor of Garth. I'm sure your beliefs would find support in certain ideologies now arising in Germany. Your choice of a German doctor as an accomplice in your plans would support that theory.
6: And what might my plans be? I should
4: say that you're determined to give Garth as a submarine base to Germany. With this island in their power, they could control the channel.
6: Very interesting. And I suppose, as well as being a spy, I am responsible for Mrs. Horn's murder.
4: You and Doctor Oberwald, between you, she was too strong for you. you. Had to get her out of the way. You probably made subtle attempts on her life at first, the origin of which you did not realize, but uh, which caused her eventually to send for me. My arrival forced your hand, and so you and Doctor Oberwald resorted to the quite unsubtle expedient of poisoning her.
6: All pure supposition, Mr. Holmes. The only law on this island is Christopher Horn. Do you suppose he'll believe you? No, I
4: suppose he won't. You've outwitted me, Mrs. Reeves. I walked into your trap just as you intended me to.
6: Then in that case, you may collect your pound of butter tonight and return to the mainland tomorrow.
4: Mrs. Reeves, uh, how much longer do we have to wait for the tide before we can make our way back to the
6: castle? (laughs) We can leave now. We could have left at any time. There's another secret entrance that is above the tide level. I merely had to make you overstay the hour of your test. I could not risk Christopher's seeing definite proof. Come now. I shall lead you back. You fool.
4: Holmes. Holmes, where have you been all this time? My bad, Watson. Did you open the note? Yes. Yes followed my instructions? Yes, it was, as you suspected. Thank heaven, old chap. Then now we can hoist her with her own patate. Here she comes.
6: I'm glad to see, gentlemen, that you have assembled here in the seigneur's room. The ceremony of presenting the butter traditionally takes place here. As soon as Christopher arrives, we will explain our customs in this matter. Uh, Dr. Watson, I trust that Herr Oberwald proved an interesting companion on your excursion this afternoon.
3: Yes, mm, indeed, most interesting. We had a discussion of the relative merit to the walking stick versus the revolver I think I was able to make my argument very convincing. Where
6: is Dr. Oberwald now? I imagine
3: he's lying down. He had all the symptoms of impending headache when I, I saw him last.
6: Why are you smiling, Mr. Holmes? What's been going on?
4: I'm afraid, Mrs. Reeves, that your plans have misfired rather badly. As soon as Mr. Horn arrives, I expect you will be under arrest for murder and high treason.
6: Christopher would never believe you. Wouldn't I?
7: Mrs. Reeves, you poisoned my grandmother.
6: Christopher, what? Lies have these men been telling
7: you. You're the one that's been telling me lies. I believed you when you said you'd been tasting the old lady's food. When Dr. Watson showed me the results of his test this afternoon, it was as clear as
4: daylight.
6: But the tests could prove nothing after 24 hours had passed. You said so yourself, Mr. Holmes. A
4: deliberate lie, Mrs. Reeves. I'm afraid that I invented that mythical 24-hour test. I knew that as soon as I mentioned it, you would attempt to prevent my carrying it out. So I was delighted when you fell into my trap. You thought that you were Shanghaiing me, whereas in reality I was Shanghaiing you. My job is to prove your guilt to the Senor. With your dominant presence away from the household, it was easy for Dr. Watson to make his test.
6: You devil! You knew all the time well, of
4: course I did. But I had to deceive you. I'm glad my performance was sufficiently convincing. By the way, Mrs. Reeves, the drug brandy was dreadfully clumsy. You didn't drink it, home? Well, of course I didn't. But it was very unflattering to me that uh,
7: Mrs. Reeves thought I might. Mrs. Reeves, you realize what this means, don't you? I'm going to ask these gentlemen to take you and Dr. Oberveld back to the mainland with them tomorrow.
6: And stand trial in a British court? Never! I was born!
7: I still can't believe she was a murderess and, and a traitor. And now oh,
4: it's shocking. Oh, shabby finished a shabby business.
7: Mr. Horn. I
4: suggest that we make sure Dr. Oberwald does not escape justice, and that we then perform the ritual presentation of the butter. Yes, Mr. Holmes.
7: The island of Garth will still pay tribute to England, and I think it always will.
2: Doctor, that was some story. So Germany didn't get the island of Garth after all.
3: No, Mr. Bartell. In fact, in after years, the island proved to be an invaluable submarine base for England. Say, um, what about the pound of butter? Did Holmes get it? Oh, yes, yes. But why are you so interested in the, in the butter? Are you kidding? In our house, butter is our second most favorite topic of conversation. Your second most favorite? Well, what's
2: your favorite topic of conversation? Remember, you ask me. Petri wine. Oh, as if I didn't know. Doctor, that Petri wine is something to really talk about. You know, the Petri family has been making wine for generations. Why, the art of making fine wine is their heritage. Handed down from father to son, from father to son. Believe me, when it comes to turning luscious, sun-ripened California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine, the Petri family really knows how. And they're proud of their wine, too. That's why the name Petri on a bottle of wine really means something. It's the personal assurance of the Petrie family that every drop of that wine is good wine. It ought to be because Petrie took time to bring you good
3: wine. Well, Dr. Watson, what new Sherlock
2: Holmes adventure do you have lined up for us next
3: week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a story that took place on the Sussex Downs many, many years ago. It concerns a young girl, a painter in watercolors, and a very wise old lady. I call it the Adventure of the Living Doll.
2: Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure was written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story The Adventure of the Bruce Pottington Plan. Music is by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petrie family. For a solid hour of exciting mystery dramas, listen every Monday on most of these same stations at 8 o'clock to Michael Shane, followed immediately by Sherlock Holmes.
1: This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly. The title characters were created and portrayed by Jim and Marion Jordan, a real-life husband and wife team, That have been working in radio since the 1920s. Tonight's episode, entitled Molly Wants a Budget The Johnson Wax
5: Program. The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly.
10: Everybody. My, my, it's nice to be back.
11: (laughs) Well, it's nice to have you back, Molly.
10: Well, what are you waiting for, Mr. Wilcox? I want to go to
5: work. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Molly. We also have Donald Novice, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Fine and Dandy. Is a sure way to banish your spring-cleaning blues. Let Johnson's self-polishing glow coat put a grand shine on your floors and linoleum without any rubbing or buffing. There's no work to it at all, you know. You just pour the glow coat onto the clean floor, spread it around with a cloth or the long-handled applier, and in 20 minutes it dries to a beautiful glowing finish. Now, there's a special sale at your dealers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat right now. You can get both the regular wax and glow coat in giant size cans. When you buy a pound, you get a pound and one third. When you buy a pint, you get a pint and one third. Now, this sale is for a limited time only, so if you want to get one third more for the regular price, we suggest that you phone your dealer the first thing tomorrow morning or go to the store and ask for Johnson's wax and Johnson's self polishing glow coat in the special money saving giant size cans. <laughs> As you all know by now, Molly is home again. And after looking over the household bills accumulated during her absence, she's a trifle flabbergasted. And here in the living room at seventy-nine Westful Vista, we find the defendant and the plaintiff in the case of income versus outgo, Fibber McGee and Molly. McGee,
10: look at this milk bill. What on earth have you been doing, sprinkling the lawn with it?
11: (laughs) That is a little high, ain't it? What say we get a cow?
10: Why, who'd milk it?
11: Oh, you got to milk them?
10: (laughs) No, you just leave some empty bottles around the barn and then go out in the morning and rob the cow's nest. (laughs) You have to milk them. And how about this electric light bill?
11: Oh, is that high, too?
10: Is it high? Well, look at it. Looks like the annual report of the TVA. (laughs)
11: Well, I was up late a couple of nights reading. You don't want me to be ignorant on current events, do you?
10: (laughs) No, but what events have been worth this much current? (laughs) (laughs) Now, look here, dearie. Answer the door.
5: Okay. Insurance man, 45 cents, please.
10: 45 cents for insurance? McGee, what is this? Late glass insurance on your Diamond Lodge pin?
11: (laughs) Now, listen, Molly, I took this out while you was gone. It's it's great stuff. You see, for only 45 cents a week, you get a complete coverage on being struck by lightning, being lost at sea, and... and Tell her the other features, bud.
5: Oh, yes, do. Uh, Well, madam, uh, this policy also covers you against capture by Chinese bandits, accidental injury from harpoons, uh, submarine collisions, runaway camels, falling pyramids, stratosphere sickness... And double indemnity for being bitten by a Mediterranean fruit fly.
11: (laughs) Imagine that, Molly, all for 45 cents. I wanted a clause in there to cover us against being knocked out by the Sunday paper, but... (laughs) That would have been another 10 cents a week. Oh,
10: that's wonderful. Does it protect us against getting our fingers pinched in the encyclopedias?
8: No, madam, that would require a physical examination.
11: (laughs) Shall I give him the 45 cents, Molly?
10: Sure, give it to him. Then run out and round up a couple of Mediterranean fruit flies. (laughs) Hungry ones, mind you.
11: Here you are, bud, 45 cents.
5: Oh, thanks. You'll never regret this, folks. Why, just last week, one of our policyholders, a bellboy, collected $9.32 for getting his left ear caught in a keyhole. (laughs) Well...
10: I suppose if there'd have been twin beds in the room, we would have got double indemnity. <laughs> well, good day to you, sir. You
11: don't think I was wrong taking out that policy, do you, Molly?
10: Oh, no, McGee. It was a lovely stroke of business. In fact, we can put in a claim right away.
11: Huh? Claim on what?
10: Capture by Chinese bandits. Huh? Look at this laundry bill.
11: <laughs> oh, I don't think that'd work, Molly. My shirts couldn't stand the physical examination. <laughs> They'd flunk the button analysis. <laughs> Don't you get it,
10: Molly? I said they'd flunk. Uh, that ain't funny, McGee. Okay. But now let's get down to business. We've got to work out a budget. I'll keep the book. Swell, I'll run downtown
11: and get a set of books and a sample budget. Shouldn't cost more than two.
10: I'll answer, dearie. Okay. 79 Wistful Vista, Molly McGee speaking. To whom am I speaking with, please? Who? Mert who?
11: Oh, that's Bert, the telephone operator, Molly. Uh, I'll talk to her. Oh, no,
10: you won't. Huh? What was it you wanted, please? Mr. McGee is busy right now. Oh, I am not. He is, too. I mean, what? Oh, you'll call him later on. All right, dearie. Goodbye. Be it ever
11: so humble, there's no place like home. McGee. Huh? Who's Mert? Mert? Oh, oh, she's just a telephone operator. I, I never met her. Just talked to her on the phone. Just kidded with her and stuff like that. I bad. see. <laughs> Honest, Molly, don't you believe me? Wait a minute. Folks, them of you who've listened to our other shows, will you please write and tell Molly that I ain't ever seen this Mert? Tell her that I never All had
10: it. Right. All right, McGee, let it go. I believe you. Okay. But now, uh, speaking of operators, look at this telephone bill. Huh? $34. Can't Europe settle its own problems? Did you have to call them up and give them advice? What do you mean, Molly? Why we've got to cut down on using the telephone?
11: Okay, let's have it taken out. I'll build a little coop up on the roof, and we can use carrier pigeons.
10: Sure. You think their cooing would help our billing? <laughs> oh, you was always one to go to extremes. Now you run down and get some bookkeeping ledgers. Okay, I'll call a couple of taxicabs right away. A couple of taxi cabs.
11: Sure, I got to come back, ain't I?
10: Mm. Sometimes I doubt the necessity. (laughs) You'll take the streetcar.
11: Okay, but that's false economy, Molly. It's a waste of time, and time is money.
10: Go on now. It'll do you good to ride the streetcar and rub shoulders with the common people.
11: (laughs) I guess you ain't rode on the streetcar lately, Molly. (laughs) It ain't your shoulders that gets rubbed. (laughs) Well, I'll be back in a little while. And then
10: we'll start. Hello, Fibber. and Hello, Molly. Oh, hi, Billy. Hello, Mr. Mills. How would you like to hear Don Nova sing, You're the only one for me? Oh, that would be nice. Isn't that the Irish number he uh, sung with Ronald Coleman in Bulldog Drummond?
11: Yes, it is. Oh, Bulldog Drummond, eh? Well, take off his muzzle, Billy, and let him howl. I got to run downtown and buy some bookkeeping stuff.
10: Well, trot along, McGee. What are you waiting for? Oh,
11: ain't you going to kiss me goodbye?
10: Oh, <laughs> of course, dearie.
11: Goodbye.
10: Oh, uh, are you leaving too, Billy? No, he ain't.
11: He's got to stay and play for Don. Go ahead, fellas. You're the one for me.
8: I am a plain-spoken fella. No flowery language is mine. A little uncouth. And to tell you the truth, poetry's not in me line. Here let me try with a song To tell you what happened when you came along I saw your smile as I passed you by And I said to myself, says I, says I There's the one, the only one for me I caught a glimpse of a roguish eye And I said to myself, says I, says I There's the one, the only one for me a poet might speak of the blush in your cheek, as the bloom of a rose newly born. Your voice, the refrain of a song of the rain, in the light of a bright April morn. I saw an angel from out the sky, and I said to me, just as I says I, there's the one, the only one for me. I'll not pretend you're the first one, I've courted a lassie or two, I've trifled a bit and quite frankly admit, I have kissed more than a few, I may have lived in me youth, but this time believe me, I'm telling the truth. I, ah, your smile as I passed you by, and I said to myself, says I, says I, there's a one, the only one for me. I caught a glimpse of a roguish eye, and I said to myself, says I, says I, there's a one, the only one for me. A poet might speak of the blush in your cheek as the bloom of a rose newly born. You're a voice, the refrain of a song of the
9: rain.
8: In the light of a bright April morn, I saw an angel from out the sky and said me just as I to die. There's the one, the only one for me.
11: It in this car, bud. Am I standing on your foot? I don't know, Mister. Jump up and down once. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's my foot. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey there, uh, Johnny. Did I collect your fare? Oh, are you the conductor, old timer? I ride for half fare, you know. Hey, I says I ride for half fare. This is a broadcast, and radio is still in its infancy. <laughs> 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 that's
12: pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the... Hey, step four in the car, please. How <laughs> was I saying, Johnny? Oh, yes. That ain't the way I heard it.
9: The way I
12: heard it... Excuse me, conductor. May I please have a transfer? Uh, you won't need none, daughter. Just tell the other conductor that Joe sent you.
9: <laughs>
12: <clears throat> hey? Oh. <clears throat> uh, the way I heard it, Johnny... <clears throat> One feller says to the other feller, "She says, This <laughs> Joe Lewis does a lot of fighting, don't he? Yep, says the other feller. He must get pretty tired of it. Why shouldn't he? says the first feller. To him, life is just one round of fighting. <laughs> Yeah, let you and me go to the next Lewis fight, Johnny, if you can spare a couple of minutes.
9: <laughs>
11: okay, old timer, but I never seen anybody so intoxicated with price fighting as you. <laughs> You're practically punch drunk right now. <laughs> hey, here's where I get off, old timer. Okay,
9: Johnny, let <laughs> the young fellow through here, folks, one
11: time. Should <laughs> 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 I wish I'd have been born rich. To me, a streetcar ride is just a mob scene parted in the middle.
9: (laughs) (laughs) What's the joke, bud?
8: Oh,
3: nothing much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an artist. (laughs) You are, eh?
9: (laughs)
8: One of your brushes tickling you? (laughs) No, no, I'm a modern artist. You know, (laughs) I paint those screwy-looking things. You know,
11: (laughs) they don't make any sense. (laughs) I know, but what's funny about that?
8: (laughs) I just had an exhibition, (laughs) and somebody bought one of them. The darn fool!
9: Well, I've
11: always wondered which got framed the worst, the picture of the buyer. <laughs> Let's see, now, where'd be the best place to get a set of budgets? Oh, hello there, Fibber. Where are you bound? I'm looking for a bookstore or a stationery store, Harpo. Our bills have been too high and I gotta get some books and make out a budget. Oh, say, that's a
5: fine idea. I have a budget myself.
11: Oh, you have? You got it with you? Sure, right here. Take a look at it. Oh, that's very interesting. What's this item here? Entertainment, 20 cents. Gee, that must have been quite a fling. <laughs> Well, it was. The 20 cents was for car fare to the Better Housekeeping Institute. Oh, so that's your idea of entertainment, the Better Housekeeping Institute. Is that the only toot you could think of? <laughs>
5: Listen, I have a swell time out there. Here it comes, folks. <laughs> Whenever I show them how easy it is to use Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, and particularly how they can save money right now by stocking up with those special giant-sized cans with the extra third free, why, nothing's too good for me. Why, they make me fudge or panucci, or a taffy apple, or something. And you can see how much that saves on meals in my budget. Yeah, that's great. Why didn't you hide in the oven till morning so he could get your breakfast free, too? <laughs> well, I tried that a couple of times, but somebody always comes along and sticks a fork in me to see if I'm done.
9: <laughs>
5: well, watch that budget, Fibber. Remember, the close-fisted guy of today is the open-handed guy of tomorrow. So long, pal. Wolf Rockefeller Wilcox.
11: <laughs> Boy, does he budget. He saved so many pennies, the government buys up his old pockets for Indian reservations. oh here's a stationary store.
12: What can I do for you, flytrap? Oh, hi, Boomer. You working here? Yes, having a special sale today on asbestos diaries for red-hot mamas.
11: <laughs> oh, I don't know any red-hot mamas, Boomer. All I know is smolder women.
12: <laughs> smolder women. Oh, that's very good, very good. Little far first, but you never were any judge of distance.
11: Listen, Boomer, you got any ledgers in here? I'm gonna start a budget.
12: That's so. Fine thing, a budget. Tried once myself, but I had trouble with my incidentals. Got them confused with the cetera's and the miscellaneous. Well, what's the budget for, Pinch Business, household, or personal?
11: All three. If business ain't better in our household, my wife's gonna get personal.
12: Ah, I see. How did I put those budget books. I have them right here somewhere. Let me look on these shelves. Interesting lot of stuff. Yeah, lot of budgets, budgets, budgets. Uh, here's a bottle of invisible ink for feminine correspondence. Nothing a girl cherishes like an old, faded love letter. Roll of blotting paper. Ever make a study of blotting paper? Very absorbing. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on, let's see a budget. Oh, yes, certainly, certainly. Must have one here someplace. Let's see now. Here's some gold points for fountain pens. Nabby little nibs, aren't they? I'll take a handful. Might want to have a tooth pill. What's this? Package of paper. Wonder how it got so dirty.
11: That's carbon paper.
12: Oh, so it is. So it is. Thought for a minute it was brunette stationery for blackmailing.
9: <laughs>
12: Here's an old computing machine. Might use that in your broadcast to add your nibs. <laughs> well, well, imagine this. I found the budget
9: book. <laughs> 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 ah. Yeah.
12: Very good one, too. Yours for only $3. Okay, here you are. Don't wrap it up. i got to be going, Boomer. Yes, well, so have I. Here comes the owner. might be a trifle embarrassing to explain what I'm doing behind this counter. Hey! <laughs> you
11: can you imagine that? And I thought he was working in there. <laughs> the crook. I well, let's see what's in this budget book anyway. Hmm, husband's clothing... Per year, $1,200. Say, hey, that's great. I ought to get a nice outfit for that.
5: Say, hey, funny, uh, uh, can you spare a time for a cup of coffee? <laughs> Wait
11: till I look at my budget, bud. Oh, yeah, charities per year, $350. Oh, well, might as well clear that up for the year. <laughs> Here's 100 bud. I'll meet you here tomorrow noon and give you the other $250.
8: All right, but don't keep me waiting. I'm going to the races. <laughs>
11: okay, bud. Now, let's see, wife's clothing per year, $1,500. Boy, won't Molly be happy at that. This is a wonderful book. See, I never thought we could do it.
10: McGee, oh, it's so nice to see you. Oh, hi, Mrs.
11: Uppington. Where are you going in such a hurry?
10: Oh, I must get down to the caterers, Miss McGee. You see, I'm giving you tea, and I must get some advice about the hors What oh. Why, do you know the anchovies I bought simply refuse to respond to the curling iron? Oh, <laughs> yes.
9: Oh,
11: curling the anchovies, eh? Hmm. <laughs> That's some stuff. How do you get the toothpicks into the little sausages, uppie? With a bow and arrow?
10: Oh, now, Mr. McGee, uh, I'm afraid you're twitting me, really.
11: <laughs> I twitted myself with that
10: one. <laughs> oh, and that reminds me. My, I'm so glad Mrs. McGee has returned. Do tell her to come to my tea on Wednesday. Just a simple homey affair. Only 60 or 70 people invited, you know. <laughs> oh, that
11: sounds very chummy.
10: <laughs>
11: or are you holding it, at home or in the ale bowl? <laughs>
10: Oh, nice. Oh, very amusing. The Yale Bowl. <laughs> yes, it yes. yes,
11: is. Eh? I can just see some old mug in a frock coat plunging around your left end with a piece of cake. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell Molly, Eppy, and much obliged. She'll be glad to get a free meal now on account of we're on a budget.
10: Oh, really, My, oh, how good. fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I've been through that budgeting nuisance myself, you know. Even now, I often say to myself, Abigail, you naughty girl. Not another string of pearls until next week. <laughs> We're so nice to have seen you again, Mr. McGee. Good day.
9: You're
11: right. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Not another string of pearls till next week. Wonder if she realizes how many oysters she's throwing out of work. I'll <laughs> uh, see this budget book again. Alarms for Hello, Pepper. Started your budget, yet? I just got the book, Billy. You see? and We're going to come out a lot better than we thought. Oh, that's swell. Yeah, for instance, according to this book, we can spend $3,600 a year for groceries. Our grocery bill has never been over seven dollars or $800 before. <laughs> that's quite a saving, isn't it?
9: <laughs> <laughs>
11: yes, you ought to finish the year with a mighty nice little deficit. <laughs> I'll say so. And believe me, we ain't going to touch that deficit except in case of emergency. <laughs> Where are you going now? Shopping. I'm I'm going to buy our clothes for the whole year now and get it over with. See? This budget allows me $1,200 and Molly $1,500. Ah, that's more clothes than we ever had in our lives. That's wonderful, ain't it? And if it hadn't been for this little budget book, we'd have never been able to have done it.
9: <laughs> well, can't you
11: wait a minute and hear the four notes sing the Hawaiian War Chant? No, I can't, Billy, but I got a lot of shopping to do, you know. But you go ahead and play it. Folks, the four notes sing in the Hawaiian War Chant.
13: Take it, kid. There is an island in the blue Pacific. Those who have seen it say it is terrific. When the ladies walk along, you can hear them sing a song. How-oo-wa. How-oo-wa. First you wiggle, then you stomp your foot and glide away. Then you clap your hands and wiggle as you slide away. Add a little hula to a wacky wacky. That's how Hawaiians go to war. Hey, who hated like a feeling to ite do it's <laughs> away. I knew it for it up a lady. Tahua eater, who, ahua hey! like Who do away I newly for it up a lady. Tahua eater, who Hey, Hawaii? Hey, who hated pili do a lover? do it takes away I newly for it up a lady. Whoa, a newly for lady. Taita fuwa uei, eu henela hi, pili duiluwa, budu duilowa, e te go it away, I'm boy tapalei. That's how away and go to war. I'm lonely boy tapalei, tapalei, tapalei.
11: Oh, boy, all our shopping done for the whole year now. Gee, will Molly be tickled. Fifteen hundred bucks worth of clothes. Boy, I hope she likes her hats. Oh, hello there, little girl. Hi, mister. Well, <laughs> uh, move your tricycle and let me by, will you? i, I got to get into the house. You live around here?
14: Sure, I do, I betcha.
11: Where? Hmm? I says, where? Where do you live?
14: With my mama.
11: Well, where does your mama live?
14: With Papa. We all live there. Where? Hmm?
11: I said... Oh, shucks. We're right back where we started.
14: Oh, have we been someplace?
11: (laughs) No, we ain't.
14: Well, then how can we be back? Hmm.
11: That... You could... Oh, forget it. What's your name, little girl?
14: (laughs) Teeny. Teeny. Mm -hmm.
11: That's a cute name.
14: Sure it is, a bit.
11: (laughs) Don't you live in that house on the corner?
14: Oh, you mean the brown one with the brick porch? Yes. No. Oh. Say, <laughs> hey, mister, you know what? No what? Hmm? I says what? Did, did you see my pop at the playground last night?
11: No, I didn't. What was your father doing at a kid's playground at night?
14: Well, I bet you he was there, I bet you. Huh? He said so on the telephone this morning. He did? Yeah. He said, boy, we sure were swinging last night, weren't we, Charlie? <laughs>
11: Where'd you say you live, little girl?
14: Right over there.
11: Oh, in that house? Mm-hmm. Oh, then you're, you're the little girl whose mama is... Say, hey, I got some news for you, little girl. I met somebody downtown, and they told me you just got a new little baby sister.
14: Me. Anna?
11: Yes, sir. Ain't that great?
14: Oh, that's dandy, I <laughs> I guess I gotta go now. Give me a push, will you, mister? Sure. Where are you going? I'm going down to the hospital and tell Mama. Gee, will she be surprised? <laughs> Goodbye, Miss. <laughs> <everybody. laughs>
11: I bet her mom will be surprised, all right. But I never knew a surprise party yet that the host didn't know about long beforehand. <laughs>
9: <laughs> Let's see,
11: where did I put that budget book now before? Oh, yeah. Hey, Molly, I done it. I got the budget book. And that ain't all. What? I done all our shopping for the whole year. Boy, is that a wonderful budget. 1500 bucks for
10: your clothes, yeah. 1200 bucks for my clothes, charity 346 Oh, hold, hold it, Miggy, hold it. Calm down. <laughs> Heavenly day. Yeah,
11: but look, Molly, look at this budget. It's marvelous.
10: Quiet, Higgernut. There's something funny here. <laughs> Let me see that book.
11: Okay, here. You see where it says about the check? Huh?
10: This budget is for an income of twenty thousand dollars. Why,
11: sure you? What? It is. You mean I got to make twenty thousand this year to pay for all? Oh well, what's the difference? I can handle it. I got the whole world ahead of me.
10: Oh, you have, have you? <laughs> yeah. That isn't the world in front of you, dearie. What you mean? You're behind the eight ball. Oh, uh-huh. God. <laughs>
11: Do you forgive me for making a mistake and buying all that there silly stuff?
10: Oh, sure. We all make mistakes, dearie. But now after this, don't be so extravagant.
11: Well, I guess I have been at that. Yes. Matter of fact, that ain't all. What? I got into a pretty stiff poker game the other night, too.
10: Oh, why, that's terrible.
11: I won 13 bucks.
10: Oh, that's wonderful. Good night. Good night, all. (laughs)
5: fellow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson self-polishing glow coat, racing Wisconsin, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night.
3: Good night. This is the National Broadcasting
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Screen Guild Theater, followed by Duffy's Tavern. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell, Paul Stringer, and Justin Eacock for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust next on Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.